Scene 1, Chapter 9 of No Name. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hannah Schoomberg. No Name by Wilkie Collins. Scene 1, Chapter 9. Three months passed. During that time, Frank remained in London pursuing his new duties and writing occasionally to report himself to mr vanstone as he had promised his letters were not enthusiastic on the subject of mercantile occupations he described himself as being still painfully loose in his fingers he was more firmly persuaded than ever now when it was unfortunately too late that he preferred engineering to trade in spite of this conviction, in spite of headaches caused by sitting on a high stool and stooping over ledgers in unwholesome air, in spite of want of society in hasty breakfast and bad dinners at chop-houses, his attendance at the office was regular, and his diligence at the desk unremitting. The head of the department in which he was working might be referred to if any corroboration of this statement was desired such was the general tenor of the letters and frank's correspondent and frank's father differed over them as widely as usual mr vanstone accepted them as proofs of the steady development of industrious principles in the writer mr clare took his own characteristically opposite view these london men said the philosopher are not to be trifled with by louts they have got frank by the scruff of the neck and he can't wriggle himself free, and he makes a merit of yielding to sheer necessity. Three months' interval of Frank's probation in London passed less cheerfully than usual in the household at Combe Raven. As the summer came nearer and nearer, Mrs. Vanstone's spirits, in spite of her resolute efforts to control them, became more and more depressed. I do my best, she said to Miss Garth. I set an example of cheerfulness to my husband and my children, but I dread July. Nora's secret misgivings on her sister's account rendered her more than usually serious and uncommunicative. As the year advanced, even Mr. Vanstone, when July drew near, lost something of his elasticity of spirit. He kept up appearances in his wife's presence, but on all other occasions was now a perceptible shade of sadness in his look and manner magdalen was so changed since frank's departure that she helped the general depression instead of relieving it all of her movements had grown languid all of her usual occupations were pursued with the same weary indifference she spent hours alone in her own room she lost her interest in being brightly and prettily dressed her eyes were heavy her nerves were irritable her complexion was altered visibly for the worse. In one word, she had become an oppression and a weariness to herself and all about her. Stoutly, as Miss Garth contended with these growing domestic difficulties, her own spirit suffered in the effort. Her memory reverted oftener and oftener to the March morning when the master and mistress of the house had departed for London, and the first serious change for many a year past had stolen over the family atmosphere when was that atmosphere to be clear again when were the clouds of change to pass off before returning sunshine of past and happier times the spring and the early summer wore away 
the dreaded month of july came with its airless nights its cloudless mornings and its sultry days on the fifteenth of the month an event happened which took everyone but nora by surprise for the second time without the slightest apparent reason for the second time without a word of warning beforehand frank suddenly reappeared at his father's cottage mr clare's lips opened to hail his son's return in the character of the bad shilling and closed again without uttering a word there was a pretentious composure in frank's manner which showed that he had other news to communicate than the news of his dismissal he answered his father's sardonic look of inquiry at once by explaining that a very important proposal for his future benefit had been made to him that morning at the office his first idea had been to communicate the details in writing but the partners had on reflection thought that the necessary decision might be more readily obtained by a personal interview with his father and his friends he had laid aside the pen accordingly and had resigned himself to the railway on the spot after this preliminary statement frank proceeded to describe the proposal which his employers had addressed to him with every external appearance of viewing it in the light of an intolerable hardship the great firm in the city had obviously made a discovery in relation to their clerk exactly similar to this discovery which had formerly forced itself on the engineer in relation to his pupil the young man as they politely phrased it stood in need of some special stimulant to stir him up his employers acting under a sense of their obligation to the gentleman by whom frank had been recommended had considered the question carefully and had decided that the one promising use which they could put mr francis clare was to send him forthwith into another quarter of the globe as a consequence of this decision it was now therefore proposed that he should enter the house of their correspondence in china that he should remain there familiarizing himself thoroughly on the spot with the tea trade and silk trade for five years and that he should return at expiration of this period to the central establishment in london if he made a fair use of his opportunities in china he would come back while still a young man fit for a position of trust and emolument and justified in looking forward at no distant date to a time when the house would assist him to start in business for himself such were the new prospects which to adopt mr clare's theory now forced themselves on the ever reluctant ever helpless and ever ungrateful frank there was no time to be lost the final answer was to be at the office on monday the twentieth the correspondence in china were to be written to by the mail on that day and frank was to follow the letter by the next opportunity or to resign his chance in favor of some more enterprising young man mr clare's reception of this extraordinary news was startling in the extreme the glorious prospect of his son's banishment to china appeared to turn his brain the firm pedestal of his philosophy sank under him prejudices of his society recovered their hold on his mind he seized frank by the arm and actually accompanied him to combe raven in the amazing character of visitor to the house here i am with my lout said mr clare before a word could be uttered by the astonished family hear his story all of you it has reconciled me for the first time in my life to the anomaly of his existence frank ruefully narrated the chinese proposal for the second time 
and attempted to attach to it his own supplementary statement of objections and difficulties. His father stopped him at the first word, pointed peremptorily southeastward from Somersetshire to China, and said without an instant's hesitation, Go! Mr. Vanstone, basking in a golden visions of his young friend's future, echoed that monosyllabic decision with all his heart. Mrs. Vanstone, Miss Garth, even Nora herself spoke to the same purpose. Frank was petrified by an absolute unanimity of opinion which he had not anticipated, and Magdalen was caught for once in her life at the end of all her resources. As far as practical results were concerned, the sitting of the family council began and ended with the general opinion that Frank must go. Mr. Vanstone's faculties were so bewildered by the son's sudden arrival, the father's unexpected visit, and the news they both brought with them, that he petitioned for an adjournment before the necessary arrangements connected with his young friend's departure were considered in detail. "'Suppose we all sleep upon it,' he said. "'Tomorrow our heads will feel a little steadier, and tomorrow will be time enough to decide all uncertainties.' This suggestion was readily adopted and all further proceedings stood adjourned till the next day. The next day was destined to decide more uncertainties than Mr. Vanstone dreamed of. Early in the morning, after making tea by herself as usual, Miss Garth took her parasol and strolled into the garden. She had slept ill, and ten minutes in the open air before the family assembled at breakfast might help compensate her, as she thought, for the loss of her night's rest. She wandered into the outermost boundary of the flower garden, and then returned by another path which led back, past the side of an ornamental summer-house, commanding a view over the fields from a corner of the lawn. A slight noise, like and yet not like the chirping of a bird, caught her ear as she approached the summer-house. She stepped round to the entrance, looked in, and discovered Magdalene and Frank seated close together. To Miss Garth's horror, Magdalen's arm was unmistakably around Frank's neck, and worse still, the position of her face, at the moment of discovery, showed beyond all doubt that she had just been offering to the victim of Chinese commerce the first and foremost of all consolations which a woman can bestow on a man. In plainer words, she had just given Frank a kiss. In the presence of such an emergency, as now confronted her, Miss Garth felt instinctively that all ordinary phrases of reproof would be phrases thrown away. I presume, she remarked, addressing Magdalen, with the merciless self-possession of a middle-aged lady, unprovided for the occasion with any kisses remembrances of her own, I presume, whatever excuses your effrontery may suggest, you will not deny that my duty compels me to mention— what I have just seen to your father. I will save you the trouble, replied Magdalen composedly. I will mention it to him myself. With those words, she looked round at Frank, standing trebly helpless in the corner of the summer house. You shall hear what happens, she said, with her bright smile, and so shall you, she added, for Miss Garth's especial benefit, as she sauntered past the governess on her way back to the breakfast table. The eyes of Miss Garth followed her indignantly, and Frank slipped out on his side at that favorable opportunity.
under these circumstances there was but one course that any respectable woman could take she could only shudder miss garth resigned her protest in that form and returned to the house when breakfast was over and when mr vanstone's hand descended into his pocket in search of his cigar case magdalen rose looked significantly at miss garth and followed her father into the hall papa she said i want to speak to you this morning in private ay ay returned mr vanstone what about my dear about magdalen hesitated searching for a satisfactory form of expression and found it about business papa she said mr vanstone took his garden hat from the hall table opened his eyes in mute perplexity attempted to associate in his mind the two extravagantly dissimilar ideas of magdalen and business failed and led the way resignedly into the garden his daughter took his arm and walked with him to a shady seat at a convenient distance from the house she dusted the seat with a smart silk apron before her father occupied it mr vanstone was not accustomed to such extraordinary act of attention as this he sat down looking more puzzled than ever magdalen immediately placed herself on his knee and rested her head comfortably on his shoulder am i heavy papa she asked yes my dear you are said mr vanstone but not too heavy for me stop on your perch if you like it well what does this business happen to be it begins with a question ah indeed that doesn't surprise me business with your sex my dear always begins with questions go on papa do you ever intend on allowing me to be married mr vanstone's eyes opened wider and wider the question to use his own phrase completely staggered him this is business with a vengeance he said why magdalen what have you got into that harum-scarum head of yours now i don't exactly know papa will you answer my question i will if i can my dear you rather stagger me well i don't know yes i suppose i must let you be married one of these days if we can find a good husband for you how hot your face is lift it up and let the air blow over it you won't well have it your own way if tick talking of business means tickling your cheek against my whisker i have nothing to say against it go on my dear what's the next question come to the point she was far too genuine a woman to do anything of the sort she skirted round the point and calculated her distance to the nicety of a hairbreadth. We were all very much surprised yesterday, were we not, Papa? Frank is wonderfully lucky, isn't he? He's the luckiest dog I ever came across, said Mr. Vanstone. But what has this got to do with this business of yours? I dare say to see it your way, Magdalen. Hang me if I see mine. She skirted a little nearer. I suppose he will make his fortune in China? she said it's a long way off isn't it do you observe papa that frank looked sadly out of spirits yesterday i was so surprised by the news said mr vanstone and so staggered by the sight of old clare's sharp nose in my house that i didn't much notice now you remind me of it yes i don't think frank took too kindly to his own good luck not kindly at all do you wonder at that papa yes my dear i do rather don't you think it's hard to be sent away for five years to make your fortune among hateful savages and lose sight of your friends at home for all that long don't you think frank will miss us sadly don't you papa don't you gently magdalen you're too old for these long arms of yours to throttle me in fun you're right my love nothing in this world without a drawback frank will miss his friends in england 
there's no denying that you've always liked frank and frank has always liked you yes yes a good fellow a quiet good fellow frank and i have always got on smoothly together you have got on like a father and son haven't you certainly my dear perhaps you will think it harder on him when he has gone than you think it now likely enough magdalen i don't say no perhaps you will wish he had stopped in england why shouldn't he stop in england and do as well as he went to china my dear he has no prospects in england i wish he had for his own sake i wish the lad well with all my heart may i wish him well too papa with all my heart certainly my love your old playfellow why not what's the matter god bless your soul what is the girl crying about one would think frank was transported for life you goose you know as well as i do he's going to china make his fortune he doesn't want to make his fortune he might do much better the deuce he might i should like to know i'm afraid to tell you i'm afraid you'll laugh at me will you promise not to laugh at me anything to please you my dear yes i promise now then get out with it how might frank do better he might marry me if the summer scene which then spread before mr vanstone's eyes had suddenly changed to a dreary winter view if the trees had lost all of their leaves and the green fields had turned white with snow in an instant his face could hardly have expressed greater amazement than it displayed when his daughter's faltering voice spoke these last four words he tried to look at her but then he steadily refused him the opportunity she kept her face hidden over his shoulder was she in earnest his cheek still wet with her tears answered for her there was a long pause of silence she waited with unaccustomed patience she waited for him to speak he roused himself and spoke these words only you surprise me magdalen you surprise me more than i can say at the altered tone of his voice altered to a quiet fatherly seriousness magdalen's arm clung round him closer than before have i disappointed you papa she asked faintly don't say i have disappointed you who am i to tell my secret to if not you don't let him go don't don't you will break his heart he is afraid to tell his father he is even afraid you might be angry with him there is nobody to speak for us except except me oh don't let him go don't for his sake she whispered the next words in a kiss don't for mine her father's kind face saddened he sighed and patted her fair head tenderly hush my love he said almost in a whisper hush she knew what a revelation every word every action that escaped her now opened before him she had made him her grown-up playfellow from her childhood to that day she had romped with him in her frocks she had gone on romping with him in her gowns she had never been long enough separated from her to have the external changes in his daughter forced on his attention his artless fatherly experience of her had taught him that she was taller child in later years she had taught him little more now and now in one breathless instant the conviction that she was a woman rushed over his mind he felt in the trouble of her bosom precessed in his the nervous trill of her arms clasped around his neck the magdalen of his innocent experience a woman 
with the master passion of her sex in possession of her heart already have you thought long of this my dear he asked as soon as he could speak composedly are you sure she answered the question before he could finish it sure i love him she said oh what words can say yes for me as i want to say it i love him her voice faltered softly and her answer ended in a sigh you are very young you and frank my love are both very young she raised her head from his shoulder for the first time the thought and its expression flashed from her at the same moment are we much younger than you and mamma were she asked smiling through her tears she tried to lay her head back in its old position but as she spoke these words her father caught her round the waist and forced her before she was aware of it to look him in the face and kissed her with a sudden outburst of tenderness which brought the tears thronging back thickly into her eyes not much younger my child she he said in a low broken tones not much younger than your mother and i were he put her away from him and rose from the seat and turned his head aside quickly wait here and compose yourself i will go indoors and speak to your mother his voice trembled over those parting words and he left her without once looking around again she waited waited a weary time and he never came back at last her growing anxiety urged her to follow him into the house a new timidity throbbed in her heart as she doubtingly approached the door never had she seen the depths of her father's simple nature stirred as they had been stirred by her confession she almost dreaded her next meeting with him she wandered softly to and fro in the hall with a shyness unaccountable to herself with a terror of being discovered and spoken to by her sister or miss garth which made her nervously susceptible to the slightest noises in the house the door of the morning-room opened while her back was turned toward it she started violently as she looked around and saw her father in the hall her heart beat faster and faster and she felt herself turning pale a second look at him as he came nearer reassured her he was composed again though not so cheerful as usual she noticed that as he advanced and spoke to her with a forbidding gentleness which was more like his manner to his mother than his ordinary manner to herself go in my love he said opening the door for her which she had just closed tell your mother all that you have told me and more if you have more to say she is better prepared for you than i was we will make to-day to think of it magdalen and to-morrow you shall know and frank shall know what we decide her eyes brightened as they looked into his face and saw the decision there already with a double penetration of her womanhood and her love happy and beautiful in her happiness she put his hand to her lips and went without hesitation into the morning-room there her father's words had smoothed the way for her there the first shock of surprise was passed over and only the pleasure of it remained her mother had been her age once her mother would know how fond she was of frank so the coming interview was anticipated in her thoughts and except that there was an unaccountable appearance of restraint in mrs vanstone's first reception of her was anticipated all right after a little the mother's questions came more and more unreservedly from the sweet unforgotten experience of her mother's heart she lived again through 
own young days of hope and love in magdalen's replies the next morning the all-important decision was announced in words mr vanstone took his daughter upstairs into her mother's room and there placed before her the result of the yesterday's consultation of the night's reflection which had followed it he spoke with perfect kindness and self-possession of manner but in fewer and more serious words than usual and he held his wife's hand tenderly in his own all through the interview he informed magdalen that neither he nor his mother felt themselves justified in blaming her attachment to frank it had been in part perhaps the natural consequence of her childish familiarity with him in part also the result of the closer intimacy between them which the theatrical entertainment had necessarily produced at the same time it was now the duty of her parents to put that attachment on both sides to a proper test for her sake because her happy future was their dearest care for frank's sake because they were bound to give him the opportunity of showing himself worthy of their trust confided in him they were both conscious of being strongly prejudiced in frank's favor his father's eccentric conduct made the lad the object of their compassion and their care from his earliest years he and his younger brothers had almost filled the places to them of those other children of their own whom they had lost although they firmly believed their good opinion of frank to be well founded still in the interest of their daughter's happiness it was necessary to put that opinion firmly to the proof by fixing certain conditions and by interposing a year of delay between the contemplated marriage and the present time during that year frank was to remain at the office in london his employers being informed beforehand that family circumstances prevented his accepting their offer of employment in china he was to consider this concession as a recognition of the attachment between magdalen and himself on certain terms only if during the year of probation he failed to justify the confidence placed in him a confidence which had led mr vanstone to take unreservedly upon himself the whole responsibility of frank's future prospects the marriage scheme was to be considered from that moment as at the end if on the other hand the result which mr vanstone confidently looked forward really occurred if frank's probationary period year proved his claim to be the most precious trust that could be placed in our hands then magdalen herself should reward him with all that a woman can bestow and the future which his present employers had placed before him as a result of a five years residence in china should be realized in one year's time by the dowry of his young wife as her father drew that picture of the future the outburst of magdalen's gratitude could no longer be restrained she was deeply touched she spoke from her inmost heart mr vanstone waited until his daughter and his wife were composed again and then added the last words of explanation which were now left for him to speak you understand my love he said that i'm not anticipating frank's living in idleness on his wife's means my plan for him is that he should still profit by the interest which his present employers take in him their knowledge of affairs in the city will soon place a good partnership at his disposal and you will give him the money to buy it out of hand i shall limit the sum my dear to half your fortune and the other half i shall have settled upon yourself 
we shall all be alive and hearty i hope he looked tenderly at his wife as he said these words all alive and hearty at the year's end but i am gone magdalen it makes no difference my will made long before i ever thought of having a son-in-law divides my fortune into two equal parts one part goes to your mother and the other part is fairly divided between my children you will have your share on your wedding day and nora will have hers when she marries and from my own hand if i live will go under my will if i die there there no gloomy faces he said with a momentary return of his everyday good spirits your mother and i mean to live and see frank a great merchant i shall leave you my dear to enlighten the son of our new projects while i walk over to the cottage he stopped his eyebrow contracted a little and he looked aside hesitatingly at mrs vanstone what must you do at the cottage papa asked magdalen after having vainly waited for him to finish the sentence of his own accord i must consult frank's father he said you must not forget that mr clare's consent is still wanting to settle this matter and as the time presses we don't know what difference he may not raise the sooner i see him the better he gave that answer in a low altered tones and rose from the chair in a half reluctant half resigned manner which magdalen observed with secret alarm she glanced inquiringly at her mother to all appearance mrs vanstone had been alarmed by the change in him also she looked anxiously and uneasy she turned her face away on the sofa pillow turned it suddenly as if she was in pain are you not well mamma asked magdalen quite well my love said mrs vanstone shortly and sharply without turning round leave me a little i only want rest magdalen without went out with her father papa she whispered anxiously as they descended the stairs you don't think mr clare will say no i can't tell beforehand answered mr vanstone i hope he will say yes there is no reason why he should say anything else is there she put the question faintly while she was getting his hat and stick and he did not appear to hear her doubting whether she should repeat it or not she accompanied him as far as the garden on his way to mr clare's cottage as he stopped her on the lawn and sent her back to the house you have nothing on your head my dear he said if you want to be in the garden don't forget how hot the sun is don't come out without your hat he walked on toward the cottage she waited a moment and looked after him she missed the customary flourish of the stick she saw his little scotch terrier who had run out at his heels barking and capering about him unnoticed he was out of spirits he was strangely out of spirits what did it mean end of chapter nine scene one recorded by hannah schoomberg from marietta georgia